Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome back to Bald Head Bible Podcast. We're dealing with the second episode of the Gideon series today. But I just wanted to give a shout out to camps. And in particular, I just want to talk about one camp that I speak at. I've been speaking at this camp, I'm going to say, for at least over eight years, maybe even ten years. I'm not even certain there. But um, I love this camp, and I speak at a lot of camps over the summer. And um, I just want to encourage you to send your children or to go to camp yourself. You know, as an adult, they quite often have family camps. But um, I love to speak at junior camps or camps for fourth through sixth grade. That's what I love to speak at the best. And um, the first camp I want to just give a shout out to that gave me my start. They invited me to speak. And again, I've been going to this camp now for a long time now, and that is Trout Creek Bible Camp in Corbett, Oregon. And the people that work there are, are true friends of mine. And uh, I love seeing them every summer. And then I miss them throughout the year. And the camp director is Joe. Joe Fallman, he is a fantastic camp director, a true visionary, and just has a heart for the camping ministry. And I just want to say how much I appreciate him and his friendship in my life and just what a great camp it is. And if you send your kids there, he'll take good care of them along with his other camp director or program director, I should say, Ben. And again, interacts so well with the kids. And then I also want to give a shout out to Kelly Joe. She also works there and is a friend who I taught for many years at Multnomah University. And we've just stayed in touch and now she's a dear friend of mine. So I just want to say, hey, if you're thinking about camp this summer, think about Trout Creek Bible Camp in Corbett, Oregon. Even if you don't live in Oregon, send your kids there. They truly know how to do camp. And the other thing that they truly do well is introduce your children to Jesus and who he is and how he died on the cross for their sins and just the, the whole salvation aspect. And even if your kids are saved, they'll grow in their knowledge and discipleship. And hey, they'll be able to hear me. That's another plus if you hit the weeks I'm there. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Trout Creek Bible Camp for those who are thinking of a camp Please, you need to send your kids this summer or go yourself to Trout Creek Bible Camp. It's an awesome camp. But let's now get back into Gideon and the second story of the Gideon series. What happens next to Gideon? Well, we're about to find out. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. James chapter 1, that's in the New Testament, verse 2 says this, 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's from the ESV. Gideon this week meets a test. God called him last week to, I want you to lead my people against the oppressive Midianites. But to see if you're going to follow me, Gideon, first, I've got a test for you. If you pass this test with flying colors, then you're my man and we're going to go all the way. And God knew Gideon was going to pass the test, right? But still, he wanted to see and he wanted the thing about testing isn't so much whether you're going to pass it. Because, again, Gideon is going in the strength of the Lord. So we know he's probably going to pass it. But the thing is, this is going to increase Gideon's faith. Sometimes when we go through testing, we think, oh, it's going to be difficult. And just to prove to God that I'm worth it. No, it's more God's proving to you that you can do this you can live by faith and here he's pushing Gideon's faith and that first test he says all right Gideon in Judges chapter 6 if you go back there he says all right Gideon if you're gonna lead my people against the Midianites if you're gonna go against them well you know what it starts at home because your father has erected an altar a worship center to the god Baal. And you've got to tear that down because there is only one true God that an Israelite should worship. And your dad is a Jew, right? He's of the tribe of Manasseh. We found out that's where Gideon's from. He thought it was one of the weakest tribes, but still, he's an Israelite. His dad's an Israelite. So what in the world is his dad doing worshiping Baal? Well, you know what? says there in Judges chapter 6, verse 25, that God says, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and I want you to go down and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down down i want you to do that gideon and we're going to test to see whether you're ready or whether you have the faith to lead my people and i'm going to show you that you have that and i'm going to increase your faith by this but are you going to do it gideon i mean this is a scary proposition his dad was the leader of the village the king of his clan so to speak and like I said, he erected this altar, and it's going to probably be made of stone, and it's probably going to be four to five feet high, or maybe four feet high, and on the top of that would be a flat stone. So there are lots of stones, and on top of that, a, a flat paving stone of some kind, and on that flat stone, they would then put wood, and they would start a fire, and then they would offer sacrifices to Baal. And then right next to it, Baal seems to have a female version of him called Asherah. And quite often by the altar, they would plant this tall tree, which he would then whack down all the limbs, and then they would carve on it or paint on it, and they would have this Asherah pole in honor of the female goddess Asherah. It was up on a hill, because notice it says there in Judges chapter 6, he goes, I want you to go up to the stronghold. Well, that stronghold 
was up on a cliff. It was prominent area where everybody in the city could see it. And when you sacrificed on this, the whole town saw it. They would worship them there. The storm god Baal and his bride or his goddess Asherah. They shouldn't be doing that. These are people who back in Deuteronomy 32, God said, Yahweh said, the Jews are my chosen people. I'm going to give the nations to the rest of the other gods, but my chosen people are the Jews, and I'm going to make a covenant with them, and I'm going to love them. And here, Gideon's dad, he broke that covenant love, and he started worshiping Baal. He probably was the leader of that town to the extent that he built this altar area on top of a hill so the whole town could see it and so that they all could see that this town worshiped Baal. And that went in direct contradiction. That went totally against what he knew was right. But in this time, the Jewish people were so far from the Lord Maybe they'd forgotten about the book of Leviticus, you know, and all the rules about how to worship Yahweh. Maybe they'd forgotten about how God had led them out of Egypt and, and how he sent his avenging angel. And you had to have the blood over your doorpost so that the avenging angel would pass over. And how God saved the Jewish people out of that and brought them back. And how he gave them this land and how he has shown them mercy and kindness and love over and over again. Well... Gideon's dad totally forgot about it. But God came to his son Gideon and said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to lead the whole nation of Israel, it's got to start at home. You've got to tear down this altar to another God right here in your very backyard. Before true worship of God could begin, these old altars to this ruling idol have to be torn down. See, we can't serve two masters. To truly follow God, we have to tear down those old idols in our life. If we're going to truly follow God, we're going to have to stop following other gods and start following the one true God. And I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what that looks like in terms of saying, hey, I'm following other gods. I think in some ways it's the simple thing where I'm just following my own flesh. I'm following me. I'm following what, what I want to do. And I know it goes against what the Bible teaches. I know it goes against what God wants for my life. But this is what I want, and I am going to do it. And if you have changed your heart and you say, I want to put my loyalty and my trust in Jesus and follow him, well, guess what? You can't continue serving those other gods. You can't continue going, spending money and, 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 and going to certain things or, or whatever it happens to be that you know is drawing you away from the worship of the one true God got to tear those down. And God asked Gideon, if you're going to lead this whole nation, you've got to start right here at home, and you've got to tear your father's altar down. Now remember, he's a fearful guy, and this is a scary proposition, because the town gets attached to their idols. They worship them long enough that they sort of like it. 
And do you think his dad's going to be pleased? These altars cost a lot of money. That Asherah pole was probably beautiful. He probably paid a lot of money to get it carved. And God says to Gideon, I want you to tear down this very public thing as a sign that, no, we are now worshiping Yahweh. I want you to do that. And again, Gideon was afraid threshing wheat in the wine press. And now God wants him to do a very public raid to tear down this altar. I don't blame Gideon for being afraid. I don't even blame Gideon for maybe, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm out of here. But to Gideon's credit, this is a changed man, you know? Again, like I said, that fearful man who was threshing wheat in the wine press of all places, when God asks him to do that, he comes up with a plan. And he says, all right, let's do this. So first of all, he gets 10 other men to help him. Now, I just want to encourage you, you know, sometimes when you're fighting new things and putting off old idols or you're really wanting to live for the Lord, but man, you are finding it hard sometimes with school or work or whatever it happens to be dragging you back down to maybe an old lifestyle or or making you wonder whether it's truly worth it. This is where you've got to get those godly friends. And it doesn't say who these friends are in Judges chapter 6. But he found 10 men who were willing to follow him and do exactly what God called him to do. He found a community that encouraged him and said, yeah, let's do this. And so, man, that had to be encouraging to Gideon. And he encouraged the 10 men and the 10 men encouraged him. And so Gideon said, all right, here's our plan. And I can imagine he pushes out a parchment where he's drawn out the town where he lives He's drawn the stronghold up at the top there with the altar. And he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. God wants us to sacrifice a burnt offering. He wants us to have a burnt offering. First of all, though, he wants us to tear down that altar. And I can imagine the ten men are like, whoa, what? Tear down the, that? That's huge. Those stones are massive. He wants us to tear down that? Yeah. And then Gideon says, not only that, he wants us to tear down the Asherah pole, chop it up, and then use the wood for the burnt offering to Yahweh. Whoa, that is cool, maybe one of them says. That will really send a message to the town that their God is nothing. Yeah, but then somebody else says, but how are we going to do that? That's a lot of work. And we're supposed to do that in one day? Won't all the men of the village attack us? Won't your dad run up there and stop you? And then Gideon says, we're going to do this at night. What do you think about that? They all think to themselves, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, let's do it at night where nobody will see us. Right, 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 right. So let's do it at night when the sun sets sneak up there now god says i want you he said i want you to bring two bulls whoa two bulls so so one of them says we're gonna drag two bulls up to the top of that hill to tear down an altar and to sacrifice both of them no 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 gideon says he only wants us to sacrifice one of the bulls i think what we'll do with the other bull is we'll use that bull to tear down the altar. The other men think, whoa, that is a great idea. And one of them says, hey, you know what? 
Baal is often represented as a bull, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about it. We're using a bull to tear down the very altar to the God bull. Isn't that cool? Gideon said, you know, I never thought of that, but that is really cool. And so they all high five. Yeah, yeah. And then they said, man, how are we going to do this without being heard? Bulls make noise. I don't know, Gideon says, but God's on our side. We've just got to trust. All right. And so they decide maybe two days later or maybe that next night. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a week later, they all get together. And at night, they got the two bulls, you know, and I can imagine them just running there like, shh, shh, shh. And they look out and they look to the left and they look to the right and there's nobody here. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. So they start to go and they start to go up in single file and maybe two of them are pulling one of the bull from the front and, and maybe two of them are pushing there with the horns and maybe one is maybe pushing him from behind and he's like, this is the scariest spot to be because he might kick me and they're pushing him and pushing him and then the second bull, maybe four more are yanking and pulling on that bull and getting him up the trail to the top of the hill. And the whole time, Gideon's maybe behind looking. I don't see anybody. And maybe they step on a twig, snap, and they're like, free, stop, shh. I don't hear anybody. Nope, nope, we're good. Keep going, keep going. And they get all the way to the top of the hill. And then they encounter this massive stone altar to Baal. How are they going to tear that down? Well, again, I'm saying they used one of the bulls and they they took the rope maybe and attached it to some sort of collar around the bull and then they threw that around the altar and then they said, all right, and they went, yeah, yeah, to get that bull moving. But it was more like, yeah, yeah, you know, whispering to get that bull moving and the bull moves and part of the altar falls down and they stop. You think that was too loud? Do you think people heard? I don't know. I don't know. Let's just keep going. And and then maybe some dug at it with, with shovels, and they finally toppled the stone by having that bull pull out huge chunks of it. And finally, the altar to Baal was down. And then Gideon said, all right, second part of the plan. We've got to build an altar now and sacrifice a burnt offering to the one true God, Yahweh. And they all went, yeah, yeah, all right. We just tore down an altar. Ooh, let's build one back up. Now, according to Leviticus, it's interesting. Leviticus chapter 1 has all these rules for how to do a burnt offering. Now, Gideon, he probably didn't have the Torah. He probably didn't have Leviticus around to read it. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe he just knew how to do a... Uh, an altar, a burnt offering, and, and knew all that? I'm not certain, but one of the rules was you had to fashion this altar out of stone. You couldn't ch chip or shave or cut the stone to make it look pretty. You just had to use stones as they were. And so there are all these stones from the altar they just tore down, and they're like, all right, let's build our own altar back to Yahweh. And so they begin to place it. Again, 10 guys working together. Maybe they've tied the bulls up and fed them to keep them quiet, and they just start building the altar. And an altar is probably a huge rectangle shape. 
and you have a wider base and then you start to stack rocks on top of that, on top of that, all the way till you get to the top flat surface. And on top of that, they would have, again, a paving stone. I think altars to Baal and altars to Yahweh look pretty similar. They weren't hugely different. But the difference is, what God are you serving? And who are you building this for? And so they built this altar up. And they're like, oh, I'm exhausted. You know, maybe they left at 10 at night when it got dark, you know. And they didn't have electricity back then. So maybe a lot of people went to bed. Maybe there was just a couple candles. I don't know how long that would take, 10 men to tear down an altar, but let's think it's 1 or 2 in the morning, and they're like, man, we are running out of time here. This is exhausting work, but we are doing this to honor our God, Yahweh. And so they finally build an altar, and then they said, all right, phase three. We've got to tear down that Asherah pole. We've got to totally destroy it. So they get that bull again, and they tie his rope to the base of that tree and they begin to pull and and out comes the tree totally uprooted timber hopefully quietly so they weren't caught and then they took the wood and they chopped it up they chopped that tree up into various smaller pieces of wood now how you did that at night without getting caught did they pull out a saw did they just take axes thunk thunk you know, did, did they put some cloth on the axis so they couldn't be heard? Thunk. Maybe the hill was up high enough that once you were up there, nobody could really hear chopping of wood. All I know is they chopped up that Asherah pole. They destroyed that image to that other god. And then they took that wood from the Asherah pole and put it on top of the altar that used to be to Baal. Now this new altar to Yahweh, they put the wood on top of that. Now remember, I said they brought up two bulls. Well, the one bull had done all the work destroying the altar, pulling down the Asherah pole. The other bull, this was a bull to be sacrificed as a burnt offering to the Lord. Now again, this would not be easy. This would take some work. Because if you look in Leviticus chapter 1, there were specific things about how to chop the bull up, how to remove its organs, what organs you could offer, what organs you couldn't offer, how you're supposed to sprinkle blood and all that stuff. Now that was for the temple. Maybe it was different for the average man you know, at home. But either way, there was a proper way to worship God and to do this burnt offering. And maybe Gideon knew sort of that, but they came up to the bull and probably took a knife and slit its throat, died pretty quickly. Then they began to chop the bull up, prescribed. Maybe they had a copy of the Torah around them. They were flipping through. To, oh, here's Leviticus 1. Now we're supposed to do this, right? Chop off that leg. All right, now we're supposed to chop off. I don't know, but ultimately, they cleaned out that bull. They kept the parts that they could sacrifice. They lifted the rest of the bull up onto the altar and put it on top of the wood. And then they took a match. Well, they probably didn't have matches back then, but they took whatever they used to light stuff and the fire began to burn. And the dead bull upon the altar and the smoke rose up. And Gideon said, this is the burnt offering to the Lord. And I can imagine the men jumped around, yay! And they high-fived, yes! And they... Maybe it's getting around early morning, maybe 5 a.m., and they're like, hey, 
It's starting to get light. We got to get out of here. And so they, they snuck back, went back to their homes. Gideon did exactly what God had asked him to do. He tore down his dad's altar and placed a new altar. And there he then offered burnt offerings to the Lord of this bull. Well, the next morning, when the men of the town get up, when Gideon's dad wakes up, they look up and they, there's a fire going. Somebody thought, wait, where's the Atropol? I, I, I don't see it anymore. And maybe a couple of them ran up there and they saw that the altar had been destroyed. Somebody had put in a new altar. They chopped down the wood for the Asherah pole and burnt that on this new altar to Yahweh. It would have been clear to all the people of the town, to Gideon's dad, that this altar was an altar to the worship of Yahweh. This would have been a fist in the face of their God saying, you know what? Baal is nothing. We're destroying that. Instead, come on, Israel. We've got to worship Yahweh. We've got to get back to our God. And all the people of the town would have known that. So they began to ask, who did this? They began to talk to each other. And I don't know how long it took them to find out, but eventually... They found out it was Gideon. Gideon had done this. Maybe somebody had woken up late at night and couldn't sleep, and they looked up and they saw, hey, doesn't that bull belong to Gideon's dad? Or maybe it was the way Gideon tied his knots. Maybe he had a specific way of tying his knots. Or, But there was something about it, but they knew eventually that it was Gideon who had done this. And so they all came running to Gideon's dad. And they said, we want Gideon. In fact, it says in verse 30, bring out your son that he may die. We want to kill him for what he did to our altar, to our God Baal. Well, Gideon's dad said, no way. He says this, he says, you know, will you contend for Baal? Will you fight for Baal? You know, he basically says, if, if Baal is a god, let him contend for himself. Whoever contends for, for, for Baal against my son, he's going to be put to death. He says there in verse 31, if he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Let him fight for himself if he's a god. If not, just leave my son alone. Let Baal kill him. Not you. So the men back off, and they're like, well, all right, we won't kill Gideon. But you know what? From now on, Gideon's going to be known as Jeroboam. And you often see in the story of Gideon, Gideon, known as Jeroboam. He now has this new nickname, and Jeroboam basically means let Baal contend against him. And sort of at first it was a derogatory term, but by chapter 7 it might have been a positive term. Because guess what? Baal doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He can't defeat Gideon. There's nothing he can do. And so people probably began saying, hey, look, there's Jeroboam. Let Baal contend against him. He wasn't able to. Man, I'm impressed, you know. Well, Gideon and the ten men, they're like, whew, 
It's great to follow God. It is great to follow that test and to pass it. Well, later on, probably in the spring, in come the Midianites. Well, it wasn't just the Midianites. They also brought the Amalekites, and it says people of the east. They came in like grasshoppers. They came in like locusts to take all their crops, to take all their cattle, to take anything they wanted. And they crossed the Jordan. They began to camp in the Valley of Jezreel. And they thought, hey, like every other year for the past how many years, this is going to work out great. We're going to get our stuff irritate the Israelites, maybe even kill some, and then we're going to go. But not this time. It says that Gideon, that the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. Literally, it says the Holy Spirit clothed him. The idea is that it enveloped him so much, the Holy Spirit, that he was invincible. You know, I compare it to that star that you get in Mario Kart, you know, where you hit that little package and then you get the star. Then you can drive as fast as you want because you can't die no matter. You can't get hit by bullets, exploding things. If you have that star as long as it lasts, you are awesome. It's the same thing with Gideon. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 34, the Spirit clothes Gideon, envelops him. He's invincible. Because back in the Old Testament, as New Testament believers, after the day of Pentecost, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside you forever. Back in the Old Testament, though, the Holy Spirit tended to come upon people for various things. The Holy Spirit came upon people who were working on the temple for craftsmanship and various things. And the Holy Spirit came upon King David to accomplish great things. Well, here it says the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon for this specific task. He was clothed in power and might. Now, you know what's interesting? Christians are clothed in power and might every day, right? Because we have the Holy Spirit constantly with us. But in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came, that's the power you had. But it didn't indwell permanently. But at this time, Gideon had the Holy Spirit. He was clothed in the might of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, he was practically invincible. But still, Gideon was scared. Now, in the, 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 the might of the Holy Spirit, he blows a trumpet. And it says he calls throughout all Israel, but particularly through, remember, he's from the tribe of Manasseh. He sent messengers, hey, all those from the tribe of Manasseh, come out, let's fight the Midianites. And he also sent messengers to the tribes of Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, you know, again, clothed in this might, let's do this, let's go fight. And so he calls Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, let's go fight the Midianites. Even in that strength, in that power of numbers. He has almighty God. He's clothed in the power of God. Gideon still chickened out. Remember I said at the beginning, this is a fearful man. This is a man who has some lots of fears. And, and again, he tore down his father's altar to Baal. That's pretty impressive. Well, I wonder if those old fears came back. When he started to see men show up and he's thinking, I've got to lead them into battle. Maybe he went up to the crest of the hill and looked over into the valley of Jezreel and saw the number of the Midianites. And, and maybe he started to get scared because it says in Judges chapter 6 and verse 36, 
that Gideon says, can you give me a sign? Please, if, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, I need to know that you are with me. Please show me a sign. Now, it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, that do not ask God of a sign. Do not ask Yahweh for a sign. This goes against God's commands. It's a sin to test the Lord your God, according to that verse. But again, Gideon doesn't know this, or maybe he does. Maybe he's just letting fear overtake him. Remember, he is clothed in the Holy Spirit. And he had a direct command from God. The angel of the Lord came down and told him, I want you to go in my might. And then, foop, he disappears. Wow, an amazing miracle. He just had success in tearing down his father's worship center to Baal. He has, he can tell he is clothed in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. God Almighty has anointed him. He knows that. But yet he still wants to know if this is truly what he's supposed to do, he's testing God here. He wants a sign. You know, I, I don't think Gideon is trying to ascertain God's will here at all. I, I think he's just trying to get up enough courage to follow God. He knows what he should do. He's just trying to get up enough courage to do it. But Gideon says, I'm scared, God. I, I need a sign, please. I need a sign. So Gideon says, I am going to lay a fleece. You know, like the fleece you get from, a, say, when you shave a sheep and you make a nice cloth there out of that. He says, I've got this fleece or this cloth, and I'm going to put it in the middle of the threshing floor. Where he should have been threshing wheat, by the way. But I'm going to put it up here on the hill in, in the middle of this threshing floor. And tomorrow morning when I get up, if there is dew just on the fleece and all around it is bone dry, then I'll know you're with me, God. Then I'll know you're with me. And so Gideon goes to sleep. And I wonder what he thinks. Ah, this isn't true. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to happen. Well, the next day, it says he rose early. He got up. He walks over to his fleece. And as he starts to walk over, he notices, wow, the ground is dry. And then he picks up the fleece. And this fleece is dripping, sopping wet. And in fact, he could wring enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. That is pretty heavy, wet fleece. Well, wouldn't that be enough? Wow, again, in the morning, you know, you have natural dew that falls down. Everything should have been wet. No, just like Gideon asked. The crown was dry. The fleece was wet. Again, like I said, I think Gideon's just trying to get up the courage. He knows what he should do. But he's a chicken, and he's fearful, and he lets those human emotions take him over. And he says, all right, God, one more test, just, just one more test. And in fact, he says, don't let your anger come against me. So again, you know that he, he knows that he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. And guys, I just want to encourage you, don't test God. If God has made something clear to you, do it. 
Gideon just had the Torah, if his village had that. He did have direct revelation from God, but you know what? We as Christians, we have the very word of God. We have God's complete revelation to us. We also have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. We should not be afraid to go out and do things that we know God has called us to do. Because if he's called us to do that, he's going to enable us to do it. No matter how scary that mountain looks, no matter how high that, that mountain looks, if God's asked you to do it, to witness to that friend, to give up that, that thing in your life that's dragging you back to your old master, if you know it's clear God wants me to do it, do it. Don't be like Gideon. Well, let me test God. Well, if God comes through here, no. Do it. Well, Gideon has one more test. He's like, God, it's clear what your will is from that first test, but again, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little chicken here. I'm a little scared, and I'm going to lay the same fleece out. And this time, you know, before I wanted all the ground to be dry and the fleece wet, well, this time I want the fleece to be bone dry and all around it. The ground should be wet and dew and full of moisture. If, if that happens, then I know you're truly behind me, God. Well, Gideon goes to bed. Again, I wonder what he's thinking. Well, it, it could have been the wind, you know. How do I know that was truly God who did that? You know, may, the test before, maybe it was something weird that happened. This will make sure, I, I'm sure of it. This will be fine this time, you know, or maybe he just thought to himself, I've got to trust God more. I've got to lean on him more. I don't know, but the next morning he wakes up, says he gets up early, and he starts to walk over to the threshing floor where he laid the fleece on the ground. And as he steps on the threshing floor, he finds out that well, what did Gideon find out? Well, if you come back next week, we'll find out what happens to Gideon in this story. But hey, I just want to encourage you, and I want to encourage myself. We just have to trust that when God's called us to do something, we need to do it. We need to stop testing God and obey his word and live in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells all believers. Another thing I think that we learned from this story is that we have got to stop serving two masters. You know, are there habits in your life you need to get rid of to truly follow God? Websites you shouldn't visit, shows you shouldn't watch, you know, media is such a huge part of our life. Apps you shouldn't use, people you shouldn't hang out with because it pulls you back to following a tr another idol. It pulls you away. From following Jesus, we can't serve two masters. That's what we learn in the story today. And we've got to trust God and do what he wants us to do. Because when he tests our faith, man, it's not so much to prove us, to prove how worthy we are. It's more that God is showing to Gideon and he's showing to us whenever he tests our faith. See, you can trust me. I'm your God. 
I will take care of you. I'll help you with those bulls to tear down that altar. I'll help you to deal with sin in your own backyard. I'll help you to, to raise up and, and to go against the Midianites because I am Yahweh. I am Jesus. You can trust me. Man, when we step out in faith like that and God uses those tests, it strengthens our faith in who? Jesus. It strengthens our faith that, yes, God can move mountains on my behalf. It doesn't show how great you are. Most of all, tests of faith show how awesome our God is that we serve. Tests of faith brings us back to how awesome Jesus is if we will just trust him. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.